Hi friends, and you know what this is. It's Robcast 99. And uh, so many things going on. Uh, I've been on tour, and we make basically make these living rooms around the world. And uh, I was just in Portland this past weekend, and we just had an all-day big living room in the round where I sort of uh, let loose the ideas in my book, How to Be Here, and then we all, people start asking questions and we go back and forth and I, um, I am just, it's so moving. Um, and even this weekend, all of the new things I learned from all of you, all of you who, um, are so, you're kind, you're generous, you're funny, you're unexpected, man, oh man, this tour. So we're going to keep going. We're going to take it, we're going to keep going for a while. Um, June 17th and 18th, I will be in Oklahoma. Um, 17th, I'll be in Oklahoma City for a book signing on that Friday night. And then the next day will be the How to Be Here experience in Tulsa. Actually, uh, June 4th, I'll be in Berkeley, uh, California, just outside uh, San Francisco at the Bay Area Book Festival. Would love to see you there if you're in the San Francisco area, um, Berkeley area, Oakland area. Um, then we'll be in Oklahoma, then we'll be in Brooklyn, then um, we're taking the tour to Australia. And I was in Australia earlier this year, and it was, oh my word, you Australians, you are amazing. So I'm coming back, and we're going to be doing larger events in Melbourne, Brisbane, and Sydney. Um, and I'm partnering with the folks from Wake Up Project. Um, and their fearless leader, Jono, I just adore that man and this organization Oh, fantastic people, and we are um, doing three events throughout Australia. Would love to see you there. And then in August, we're coming to Belfast, Dublin, Paris, and London. So uh, you can get all the info at robbell.com. Um, tickets are now up for Melbourne, Brisbane, Sydney, Belfast, Dublin, um, August 9th. Um, doing the How to Be Here Experience Evening Edition in Paris, and then August 13th, all day in London. Um, and actually, August, that would be 11th and 12th, I will be at the Timings two-day event in uh, Lincoln. So if you Google Timings UK conference, Peter Rollins and I and others are teaming up um, to do a two-day event. All kinds of stuff going on, and would love to have you be a part of it if you're at any of these cities. So, we have that going on, and then um, if you're in the Los Angeles area, May 31st, uh, so a week from Tuesday, is my next Largo show, and I am putting together this new hour and a half show um, called The Universe is Shouting, and I'm, oh man, this thing, um, Oh man, there's this feeling when I put together a new thing and it's about, and it starts to get, you know, an hour, an hour and a half long and I've never done it before, but I know that it's <laughs> going to be a blast to give. So uh, Largo, next week I'll be debuting this new one-man show I came up with and I'm very, very excited about it. And uh, if you want signed books like early Velvet Elvis, Love Wins, signed editions, all that stuff is now at my site as well. So that's all that's going on. And uh, a couple things we're going to be telling you about in the next couple of weeks that are about ready to be launched. Oh, and then the Everything is Spiritual film. 
Um, we made a film of last summer's tour. It's a whole uh, a brand new content called Everything is Spiritual. It's an hour and 55-minute film, and we released it on YouTube for free, and uh, the response has just been fantastic. So um, there we go. And then I've been doing Facebook live streams. So if you go to my Facebook page, you can see some of those videos where I basically live stream and and chat with you all, and then you can type in comments and and. We go back and forth, and uh, so we'll be doing a bunch of those this week as well. So there you go, a bunch of things going on. But now, my friends, I am going to play you a conversation I had with a woman named Leith McHugh. And uh, she came up to me at one of the tour stops, and she gave me like a 20-second version of what she and her family had been through. And... uh, I was so captivated, and uh, so I asked her if she'd come on the Robcast, and I could ask her more about what she told me, and so this is a conversation with Leith McHugh, and uh, I don't even know how to prepare you for it. Um, I didn't expect the conversation to go the way that it did, and I, the last thing I thought it would do is what it did to me. Um, and I've never had this happen in an interview, and you'll see what happens. Um, and uh, there we go. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Leith McHugh. Hi, friends, and welcome to another Robcast. Leith McHugh, McHugh? McHugh? Oh, good. I said it right. Is here in the back house. Welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I love it because you... I was speaking in Denver, and you said to me, like, during a break, I, my husband and I completely rebooted our lives, and I help people reboot their lives, and you gave me, like, th- 10 seconds of biographical background, and I was like, oh, that's really interesting. So, why don't you take us way back, and w- what do you mean by reboot? What was your life like? Let's go all the way back. Okay, um, let's see. I'll probably start back. We have three kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we've been married 22 years, and actually 23 in December. Um, and three kiddos, um, Holden, who's 20, Avery, who you just met, who is 15. Yep. And then our sweet Hadley um, passed away five years ago, and she was 12. She was 12 when she passed away. Yes. And she was born without part of her brain. Um, So she had severe disabilities her whole 12 years, um, required full-time care. She was, um, had seizures on oxygen, fed through a tube, wheelchair, diapers, kind of you name it, that's what we did. And did you find out there were complications when you were pregnant? No. My ultrasound was perfect. Um, She was born without part of her cerebellum. But the little tiny bit that had developed was perfectly developed on my ultrasound. So if I had had an ultrasound a week later, they would have started noticing that things weren't developing. So we didn't know until she was four months out. Um, And how did you notice? Well, she was different when she was born. Um, At first, we were just kind of like, you know, newborns are just weird. Um, They look weird. They're awkward. But Holden was a really pretty baby. And so we kind of thought, you know, something just seems different with Hadley, but like her little hands, she would hold them up 
um, kind of by her sides. And then she had a hearing loss um, right from birth. We found that part out. And we thought that's all that was the matter until she was, I think, four months old. The doc was just really uncomfortable with her head size. It was, you know, that's why they measure baby's heads at the doctor's office. And so he did an MRI, and that's where we found out that she was missing her cerebellum, and the rest of her brain was underdeveloped. And the cerebellum is where in the brain? It's the back part. So you're sort of getting an education on the brain from early on. Getting crazy amounts of education on the brain, yeah. Whoa. Yep. So then, so then it's full time care. Full time care. Yep. I actually um, got paid from the state to be her certified nurse's aide. So I was her CNA for about eight years of her life because she was three by the time um, I got certified. And um, she did go to school. She took her little yellow bus and her brother and sister rode the bus with her. Um, She did go to school full time almost her whole life, except for when she was sick or in the hospital or whatever. But um, yeah. Wow. Okay. And then, and then her health went downhill rapidly or just over time? Yeah. Rapid. I mean, we would say rapidly. However, as we kind of look back, she was getting tired. Um, Her little body, well, she actually wasn't little. She had gotten kind of fat. Um, But her little brain, it's like trying to pull an RV with a VW bug engine. Mm-hmm. So it's like her little brain couldn't keep up with the size that her body was getting. She was 100 pounds when she died, and um, she ended up with pneumonia. She had had pneumonia five times before. We almost lost her a couple times before, and this one was just super surprising. It kind of came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden, Tuesday at school, I pick her up. Friday, she was dead by 3 o'clock. But, but previous to that, there have been, you said, several times when you thought, she was going to die. Mm-hmm. What was this like for your family? Was it like a roller coaster or were you all numb to it or? All of it. It was an absolute roller coaster. Um, the whole thing was a roller coaster. Um, and then you get used to, you know, after five hospital visits, you get used to the hospital. Then you get used to things being really severe. Then you get used to all of it. You start getting used to it. So at um, first it's shocking, it's, yeah. and then you whatever it is you adjust. Yes. So even stuff where you'd like that's insane, we could never do that. Yes. Then you have to do it, and then at some point it's just how it is. That's what you do. That's how we roll. Wow. How many hours a day? I mean, a mom. Moms are like working all the time, all the time. Anyway, but how? Like, how was this every day, all day? Every day, all day, 24-7. Other than if she was situated, like if her diaper was changed, she was fed, she was medicated, she was comfortable, Mm -hmm. then she would, you know, could just hang out in her wheelchair or watch TV or whatever. So there were like moments where she didn't need something. But even in the night, like I would hear the sound she would make when she would start to have a seizure and I could hear it down the hallway to our bedroom and go flying out of bed to make sure she made it through the seizure. Were your nerves fried? <clears throat> yeah. We're still tired. It's been five years. And I would say, actually, I'll speak for myself, but in the last six months, I don't feel as tired as I did. I still take sleep meds. I still just can't sleep on my own. Um, 
but I'm off of everything else and I just don't feel as like worn out. Five, the past six months. So four and a half years later, you feel something getting restored. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reboot. Well, it's part of why we rebooted. And I think the reboot is also part of what's allowing me, us to feel recovered. Feel recovered. Okay, so she she passes away. Mm-hmm. This It's like another round of pneumonia, but this one is more... Did you know that round of pneumonia? Oh my word, This she's going to die. No, not at all. It In was fact, just like the other ones. Yeah. One of my best friends was at the hospital um, at noon and said, I'll probably see you guys at home. You know Hadley, she always comes home from the hospital, always. And we were like, oh, I know, you know, kind of rolling our eyes. And three hours later, she was gone. Were you with her? We were with her. Mm -hmm. There was about 25 people around her hospital bed. Mm. Um, We had decided this time to leave her at the ICU and let her go there. The first time that she really almost died, the kids wanted her to be at home. Um, So we brought her home from the hospital. She did not end up dying that time. But two years later they said, let's just keep her at the hospital. So we were, um, around her bed. We actually have a beautiful video that, um, thankfully a friend captured it. It's on our family video web, our video site, but at the end of it is her death. And, um, there was about 25 of us, um, surrounding her and, um, it's kind of a a long story, but the shortened version is that I had been laying next to her on one side of the bed. My daughter Avery was on the other side. She was a nine year old at the time and Holden was 15 and I got up to go try to take a shower. I hadn't showered in a couple of days. And so I went to go check the monitors. The nurses had the monitors off so that we wouldn't just be constantly watching them. And I just checked it one last time before I jumped in the shower and everything was low. Um, her oxygen saturation was low. Her heart rate was low. So I ran out to the desk and they grabbed the doctor and just said, yeah, this is it. So I don't, I have no concept of how much time it was from when I looked at the monitor to when she actually died, but our son Holden had stepped into the spot that I had been laying in and he basically coached her into heaven. Um, he laid with her and just said, baby girl, I'll fall asleep with you. I'll stay with you until you're there. Um, I'm in storytelling mode right now. So I'm, my emotions are just slightly turned off. But my heart. I know. And I I'm, can't <laughs> stop tearing up. It's, it's a lot. Um, and it is the most beautiful thing that I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, and the most heartbreaking and torturing for a mother to watch. Mm-hmm. So um, Aaron graciously reached up and just took off her oxygen, um, her nasal cannula that was in her nose. And within moments, she was gone, and um, we were all there surrounding her. Mm. I wasn't even there, and I'm a wreck. Did you... uh, So then, so funeral, uh, there's just, I assume everybody's sort of stunned for a while? Everybody was stunned. Um, Our sweet little Avery... um, insisting on tending to her dead body. Um, So for about three hours, she sat and she brushed her hair. 
Um, I might not be able to stay in storytelling mode. <laughs> oh. she, now, you've told uh, the story a lot over the years. Yeah. So do you have some gear times. you shift into yeah. when you tell the story? Mm-hmm. Or you just lose it like I am? Yeah, because essentially I relive it. Do you really? Every time I retell it. That's how it feels. Mm-hmm. Like a reliving. Yeah. And to watch, like, not only was Hadley dying, but my other two are exceptional people. And their role in her death yeah. and after oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. were so significant. Um, Avery tended to her body, brushed and braided her hair over and over and over again. And I said, you know, she's sobbing. You saw her big chocolate eyes and tears, crocodile tears, you know, and she's sobbing. And I was like, baby, you don't have to do this. Like, what, what are you doing? And she just said, I need to do this. I want to do this. And she did that for somewhere up in the neighborhood of three hours um, off and on. That's how long we stayed with her body. And then we left the hospital without her. And drove home. And drove home in silence. Because how do you drive home? We don't know how to drive home like that. So we just were quiet. Mm. Okay, so, um, so, so the reboot. The <laughs> reboot. I can barely hold it together. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely hold it together. So, how did that? So it it. From what I gathered from the thirty seconds you told me in Denver, that triggered something way bigger than just the grief mm-hmm. of a daughter. Mm-hmm. It, it it had massive reverberations across your lives. Mm-hmm. How did it how did it start? When did you know? Oh wow, this is bigger than we're grieving. We'll be grieving for a while, but there's something else going on here. Well, there was so much going on. So. <clears throat> Three months before Hadley died, our son was coming out as gay. Mm-hmm. And that was huge for our family. Um, so that story was unfolding privately while the story of Hadley's life and death w- was unfolding publicly. We had care pages and had tons of people. Um, we had a huge celebration service for her. Probably 1,200 people showed up, and we had 800 balloons that we released, and it was really, it was a beautiful, beautiful celebration. Uh, we had artists and bounce houses, and just, it was a party. Um, so <clears throat> privately, it's unfolding, um, Holden's story's unfolding, and then we're kind of all just getting on our feet from everything, And a couple years, I kind of don't really have the timeline in my head right now, but I think it was his junior year of high school, he started getting into drugs. And so it wasn't until he was a freshman at college that he really hit rock bottom. He was up at CU Boulder and hit bottom. And we didn't know he was doing drugs at the time, but he was struggling with incredible amounts of anxiety and depression and so there's a place called on-site workshops um, that our family is um, incredibly grateful for outside of Nashville. So Holden went. I had been there for 15 days in their trauma recovery program called Milestones. Then Holden went there for 55 days. 
And while he was there, he realized he was an addict. So he went straight from on-site to treatment here. A friend had a connection with a place here. And so within 36 hours of us thinking we're taking him home from on-site, he's now on a plane to California. So that was all... Let's see, he's been here for over a year now. So that was a year and a half or so ago. So we get him to rehab. And we start our house that we built for Hadley um, so it could have accessibility. We'd been there 10 years, and marriage started going down the tubes. Um, I had already gone through my, since Avery was a baby, I had struggled with some depression. So I had gone back and forth with some depression and anxiety. And then I was starting to get well. I had gone to milestones. Then Holden was at milestones. Then I was kind of getting well. And meanwhile, Aaron's holding the family up. And we start kind of turning our attention to him and realizing that he's going under. So last spring, he had one nostril sticking out above waterline. Um, So that sent us marriage-wise to a really dark place. So, and that's the dynamic, isn't it? That when one is struggling, another d- carries weight, and then the other starts to get back on their feet, mm-hmm. and then the person who's been carrying it goes, I have been holding this thing together. Mm-hmm. And then whoever else is around is like, you know what, I've been carrying... Yes. So you each at various times sort of carried the others, and then... Whenever one starts to get like a little healthier, the other one says, okay, now I'm exhausted. Yeah. I've been being strong. I've like been tense or uh, on guard. And um, now I'm exhausted from that. So then your your husband is in bad shape. Um, So then, okay, keep going. Wow. So that landed us in a place of, um, I don't, believe that we thought we would be divorced. Um, I thought we would probably need to be separated in order to both get well to then stay together. And that's foreign to us. We are crazy about each other. We're good friends. We like each other. We play hard together. And so for us to be in that place was, was pretty concerning. Um, we started looking around and we were just like, we need to get out of this house for starters. We need to get away from these walls. They held so much pain. Um, It didn't matter what we did in that house to clear out the funk. It was, it was in the walls. It was in the carpet. Uh, Interesting. So it wasn't just wherever you go, there you are. We should just deal with our stuff and the house. It was, we need Mm -hmm. to, we need to be on our way. Out. And so Holden no longer lives there. He's now in California and he's made the decision that he's probably going to stay out here. So um, the three of us then were like, what do we do? And Avery's like, we're out. We're out of here. And we're like, we're out of here. And I said, I even kind of feel like we should sell everything with the house. And they both were like, yes, we're out of here. Everything. Everything. So we sold, I'm, when I say everything, I mean like silverware, dishes, towels, sheets, all of our bedding, our mattresses, our furniture. We kept a couple shelves, like kind of like those little shelves, um, bikes, artwork, photographs, Hadley's things, Holden's things that he wasn't there to pack up. Like a carload. 
a couple car loads. It maybe. ends up being more than that. We yeah, thought sure. it was about a trailer full, but we just moved it again for about the seventh time <laughs> in the year. So, okay, so it's more, but so there. <clears throat> and how did you sell it? Like yard sale, eBay? Um, well, okay. So our house was on the market for a couple months. Some showings, no movement. Boom, lady comes in. I want it. I want to put a contract on it right now. Well, when in the mean, when Aaron's discovering that he's not well, he decides to take a medical leave of absence. His work supported that. So we had from May 1st, he was going to be off work. So we had, um, we're both products of Young Life. We love Young Life. I worked at Frontier Ranch um, every summer for five summers or a month each summer for about five summers in a row. And it's just like my, my spiritual home. Um, and so Aaron called a buddy who runs the camps and just said, hey, is there anything we could do at camp this summer? And they said, yes, come. So we know that Frontier Ranch is coming on June 15th, and we're going to be there for about five or six weeks. So we get this contract on our house right before we go. And so we had literally about five days before we left for Frontier. We had five to days sell it, to sell stuff to get out. Basically, like they weren't moving in until July, but we had to do most of it because we were going to be gone that whole time. And were you work walking through your house, like going, that goes, that goes, that yes. goes, that's out of here. Yes. Sell it, sell it, all yes. of it. Yes. So we put on Facebook and sent emails and said, come, come get it, pay what you can. Um, and if you can't, take it. Um, so I think we ended up with, we had, we ended up with several thousand dollars, which was helpful. Now it is as we're moving into our new house on May 25th. Um, it's helpful, but we didn't, did not care. It was like, just get it out. And did you call it the reboot? We did. Really? We did. So, so you even had that language at the time. We need to start everything over. Yes. We called it rebooting our joy engine. That was at least rebooting our joy engine. Yeah. That was us getting to frontier. When we left for Frontier, we didn't know where we were going. We yeah. just knew our house had sold. Yeah. And our next step was camp. And we'd figure out the next step while we were at camp. Wow. And you put some stuff in storage and away you went. In a neighbor's house, in a garage, where it is, again, because we just had to get out of our rental house three weeks before our house is ready. Um, so it's back in our neighbor's garage again. <laughs> um. Somewhere in there, did you start telling your story? Um, did people start coming to you saying, you've been through something, help us? Yes, but I feel like us telling our story happened a long time ago. It just keeps mm -hmm. getting more interesting parts and pieces to it. Mm -hmm. um, but there's something that's happened in the last six months as we have, we've gotten a lot of help marriage wise. We're better than we've been in 22 years. Um, we're going to make it. We like each other. Um, and I think people that have been watching the story knew that it was like, Oh gosh, it's like watching a car crash in slow motion. But then somehow there's, there's some dents on the car, but like it didn't crash. And so people are just curious, like what happened? What are you guys doing? How, how, how does the story look like this today? And it looked like that five years ago. So I do feel like in the last 
the last six, well, I would say the last eight months has been our transition. Um, and there's, uh, people are interested in something and I don't know exactly what, but they're interested. Wow. Wow. And so what are you doing now? So right now... Do you have... I mean, your whole life was... I mean, I mean a, a big portion of your energy and time was caring for your daughter. You said like the, in the last six months, you're beginning to have energy again. Mm -hmm. Do you have something where you think, this is what I want to do now? Yeah, I do. Um, uh, several years ago, after Hadley died, I was kind of like, wow, I've got this blank canvas now. Mm -hmm. because Kit, like Avery was nine when she died. So everyone's getting old enough to be able to, everybody can wipe their own butt. Yeah. They can kind of do their own thing. So I wasn't needed as much as a mom. Um, so I went to, um, Donald Miller has a conference called Storyline. Um, I went there with a bunch of girls and came home from that just saying, I don't know what it is that I'm afraid to pursue because I don't even know what my thing is. Like, I don't know what my jam is. What makes me come alive? What's my jam? And I just kept going. I just, I know it's something about speaking. I want to speak. I want to, I wish I was like Taylor Swift where I could just belt something out on the stage with a microphone, <laughs> sell out Madison Square Gardens. That would be like my dream. But I'm not really naturally gifted that way. So I was like, I think I want to have my own conferences. And I told a girlfriend of mine and, um, I've never heard somebody say that. I want to have my own conferences. <laughs> I do. I was like, I just want to speak. I want to, I don't know what that means, but I just, I think I'll have my own conferences. So <laughs> um, out of that was born what is now called Brave Beauty. And um, it started with a women's event where we just kind of said, hey, anybody want to come hang out for a weekend and kind of do a girls weekend? And here's a couple speakers. And we sold out like 45 spots overnight. So we found a way to open up 25 or 30 more and those sold out right away. So all of a sudden 75 women show up and we have an event and we don't even really know what they're coming for. And we had, and it's magic and it just worked. And everybody's and like, Oh my word, I'm not alone. Oh my word. Yes. I've been thinking the same things, but thinking I was crazy. Oh my word. I can like be honest about my pain and it's fine yes. and we're all going to be okay. And all that thing that happens. Yes. Wow. So now you're doing, so now you do these. So now we do these. So I've done two of them and then took a massive break when Holden was in rehab yeah. and Aaron wasn't well and we were in transition. So I started back up in the fall and um, wasn't really sure how, what I, exactly I wanted to do with it. I knew I wasn't at a place to do a whole weekend event. So um, I was talking with a girlfriend of mine. We were out walking and I said, I kind of just want to you know, start with like a happy hour. Aaron's like, just put a hap just meet at a restaurant and do a happy hour <laughs> right. just to start something right. called Brave Beauty, right? And so this friend that has um, a blog called Sharing Our Life, Love and Food, she was like, well, I've let's just do something together. I do these things. Let's put our things together. Well, she had just heard you and at the um, Oprah Super Soul sessions. This mm -hmm. was last fall. So she said, hey, I just went to this thing. What if we just share about living intentionally so we did it. We we booked a hat like we just said everyone come to her house on a Friday night. This was on a Tuesday. We sent emails out and 20 women showed up. So after the end of the evening, we just talked about Oprah and some of the stuff that that my friend Elaine had learned at at that event and they were like, "Well, we have to keep doing this." So we're like, "Well, maybe we'll take each speaker." So we just did you in last on Friday night. We took oh, each right. speaker 
one at a time, and we've been just watching the videos and then opening it up for discussion. So we do that once a month. So you get an idea and you just do it. What do you say? I can sense, I'm assuming from what you've been through, there's a certain rawness to the thing. Yes. A, a raw honesty. Seriously, people, let's not pretend. Right. And I imagine the, the women who come to this, this is like fresh air. This yes. is like unbelievably refreshing. I hope so. I think so. Uh, what do you say to people who are listening to you on this podcast who live in Akron or Scottsdale or Australia or Mrs. wherever they're listening who like have some idea? Because you had an idea, but then you just did it. What? I just think it is about doing it. I mean, it's like if you don't... So Donald Miller, what, what he said at Storyline was just turn your toes toward the thing that you're afraid to pursue. Well, at the time, I didn't even know. I wasn't turn afraid of anything. Turn your toes just, yeah, just towards like the thing. Something. Just some kind of movement turn toward it. Turn your toes. That well might done, be, Don. That might be my... Like, oh, that might be you your know, thing. But no, he said it, but that might be the way I'm like retelling it. Um but I think that's the thing, like with Brave Beauty, it's kind of like real, I mean, every month before we do this event and before we do the, we do something called Be Too Teen, where all the teen moms and daughters come and we do a kind of a similar thing to what the women are doing yeah. on Friday nights. <clears throat> and every time I'm just like, what am I doing? Why, why would I even do this? This is Oh, you have like a, dis- you have a, an existential, what's yes. the point of any of it? Yes. Before everything you do. The day before of. these. Like, what am I doing? This is the one that's going to, yeah. But I keep turning my toes. And even with like reaching out to you, I'm like, I don't know. You might say, lady, you're crazy. <laughs> hey, you might have thought it, but but you said, yes. Well, you don't know unless you ask or you try or you point your toes. or So worst case, people say no. People don't show up. They don't come, but they keep coming. And you said yes, and people keep saying yes, so I keep stepping. It's for me. It's taking the next step, just like today. What's in? What's the next right thing that's in front of me that I can do? And I don't know what it's going to look like ten yeah. years from now. And I'm trying to not shit my pants about what it's going to look like ten years from now because ten years from now doesn't matter today. But like yeah. right now on May twelfth, this hour matters, and then. I'll go be with my son and we'll see what the next step is for today. And then what will unfold with Brave Beauty, what will unfold in our family. Did you used to live like that or did it take this pain to bring you into the present moment? That's a good question. Um, I, it took the pain. Really? Yeah. Took it. It was so out of control, Rob, the pain and the trauma <clears throat> that, it, it stripped away something. I, I just shared this after your talk um, on Friday night um, <clears throat> with the women that when we first thought Hadley had just a hearing loss, we were freaking out. That was traumatic. And yet it could fit in a box. We could get hearing aids. We could learn sign language. Like we, we could do it. We got this. We can like handle that. And then Two months later, we find out, oh, no, it's her brain. Okay, well, that's a game changer. So that put me on my face, in fetal position, on my face, flat, whatever, all kinds of things on the floor. Because hearing's like, okay, so we'll be the parents of the girl who has poor yes. hearing, and we'll know all that. 
Then it was like, okay, brain. Okay, then we'll learn all the stuff about brain and how you take care of a child who has these issues. But the, there's a point at which it's you can't just build a wall, the walls around it to contain it, to understand it, to master it, whatever. Right. There's too many parts to it, and it's the brain, so everything's impacted. Like, okay, we never knew. Is she going to ever walk? Will she ever talk? Will she? She did not ever walk. She did not ever talk. And, but every year, you don't know what the next year might look like. So you lived in the suspended state for 11 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So and and in, and what we know now about the body is like even physiologically, your very your cells were firing a particular way. Mm-hmm. That it's like mm-hmm. years now for your even just your body's heart's mind's blood cells to adjust to a new reality. Yeah. What's the number one question women ask you or want to talk about? What's the thing that if people got it? Or could deal with it, or had a way to think about it. Um, you could the most amount of healing would occur. What do you run into most frequently? Um, I think the very first thing that comes to mind is just that that women in particular they just want to be seen and heard. They just they need they need their story to be heard, and then they need to know that they're going to make it, or that they're going to be okay, or that there's hope that they could be okay, and. For for me, there were times where I wasn't sure if I was going to be okay. Um, wow. I know Liz Gilbert talks about being in fetal position on the bathroom floor, yeah. and I'm like, yeah, there were plenty of fetal position, bathroom floor. I never thought about taking my life, but I had thoughts about thinking about taking my life. Um, because there's a, po- a point where, like for me in particular, I felt like I was afraid my heart was going to burst, like physically explode because of the amount of pain I was carrying with my, my, in regards to my children. Yes. And like, it can't take anymore. At some point, doesn't it just say, I can't take anymore? Yeah. And it just doesn't, it stops or it explodes or it breaks. And I was like, can you die of a broken heart? Like, I think I, I think I'm going to die of a broken heart. And I think people, not just women in particular, I love women and love walking with them, but people are hurting everywhere all the time and like incredible amounts of pain. And it doesn't necessarily mean they've had incredible amounts of trauma, but our pain doesn't feel different. Even if I've had a harder story or more trauma, or I don't know that the pain really feels different. It, it hurts really bad no matter what, you know? Yeah. What is that about? You said the number one thing you said was they, women want to be heard is it uh and that's unique to i mean obviously there's a dimension to all human beings want somebody to witness to their life excuse me but is that what can what can i learn from that what's the cultural truth there that a lot of women feel like nobody nobody is witnessing or listening I guess, or it's something about seeing them, like really seeing them. Um, Because you're so-and-so's mom. Yeah. Or you take, or you take care of so-and-so or you, um, you're sort of in the background. Yes. And meanwhile, 
they're carrying a story that they have probably been carrying since they were little girls. Like I carry my own story of mm -hmm. traumatic childhood stuff. And so I think they're, they're already carrying that. Then they step into their role as a wife, mom or whoever they are. Um, and then that has its own set of stuff. And I, I don't know. I just think that when they just, if someone will just listen and actually care yeah, and, and to feel like they're not alone and that they're going to be okay. Um, their story matters. They matter. And I think a lot of women in particular don't know that they matter. They don't feel like they matter. Wow. And that's what you do. You tell mm -hmm. them they're going to be okay and you tell them they matter and you listen. I try to create a safe space. That's what Brave Beauty is a, a place that hopefully we create a safe place for women to be able to just be vulnerable and authentic, authentic and explore their story of their own bravery and beauty. Like they are all so brave. If you saw these women, I mean, you've seen some of them at Oprah events, you know, and they're, they're brave just for showing up. They're brave for staying alive. Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating to me how many times uh, I'll say, wait, 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 tell me more about that. Cause it'll be like an offhand comment mm -hmm. and a, a woman will say, well, this happened. And I'll think, and you're here. Mm -hmm. This is unbelievable. Do you understand how amazing this is? Your resolve and character and perseverance. Um, yep. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, people can people get a hold of you? Can people contact you? Is that? Yeah. Where? Do, how do they? How do they find you? Um. How do they find me? Well, working on a website. I'm on Facebook. Okay. Um, <laughs> Facebook. Leith McHugh. Yep. M C H U G H. M-C-H-U-G-H. And it's L-E-I-T-H. Um, wow. This is... Um, thank you so much for coming to the back house. You're welcome. Thank you. What do you say... Uh, do you have like... What's the bullet point how to reboot your life? When someone says the whole thing... Do you meet people and you get a little piece of where they're at and you immediately think they need to reboot the whole thing? Yes. Do you really? Yeah, and I kind of feel like everybody needs to sell all of their stuff and start over. <laughs> oh, really? Really? <laughs> a lot of times I do. I'm like, you got to get rid of that. You got to get it out of that story, out of that world. You just got to do something new and different. And so you hear it and something within you, like alarms go off. Yes, with certain people. Not every story, but certain right. ones. It's like, oh yeah, I can see that. I'm what are the way. triggers? What What do you hear that you immediately are like, okay, that's messed up. You got to get it, out of that. It's, just, it's something about being stuck, stuck. And being in this old story, like the people that are just in a hamster wheel and can't get out of that old story, like we were in our wheel and all of a sudden we're like, we got we to gotta start by getting out of this house. So the physicality is a huge part of it. Yes. Just the aesthetics, the floor plan, the yes. memories, the pain body of the house itself. Yes. Whatever's these walls soaked up, you got to... Yes. Get out. And even like when I go to Costco, since we didn't, we thought about moving to California last summer and we were just like, no, I don't think that's it. I think we need to stay in Colorado. So we, we built a new house. It'll be ready in a few weeks and built new walls, wrote all over the framing, just new words on new walls. And, but because we're staying in the same city. You wrote on the framing. We did. We took um, Sharpie markers and wrote on the two by fours before the like drywall. Like positive, went up. Mm -hmm. inspirational things. Mm -hmm. Just so that the very walls. Yeah. You had already marked. Yeah. It's like you graffitied your own place. We did. We did. 
It was really fun too. Um, but if I go to Costco or Target, I park on a different, like in a different area than I used to park because I need to repattern the stuff in my brain to not be like the old way. Oh, really? It, you've, <clears throat> it's that significant. Mm-hmm. For me. And yeah. I, would, I think Aaron would say the same thing. And, and you regularly meet people who everything within your being is like, oh my word, they're where I was. Mm-hmm. And there's a way out, but mm-hmm. you're going to have to do this and this. Mm-hmm. And Avery and I were just sitting at dinner <clears throat> last night talking about, can you believe one year ago, we didn't know where we were going. We did not. We knew we were at camp. We didn't know what was happening after that. And we had no idea what was ahead. Like had, had we been able to have a glimpse a year later, we would have been like, really, we're going to have to do all that to get here. But now we're, we're two and a half weeks out from landing in our nest and being at the place that we didn't even know existed a year ago. It's pretty cool. Wow. Well, I'm cheering you on. Thank it's you. very inspiring. Thank you. Very inspiring. I'm literally just choking up again, all over again. I can't even <laughs> finish this podcast without crying more. Yes. Oh, my word. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You're thank so you. welcome. Grace and peace, everybody. <laughs>